You're listening to Recovery Survey, the podcast that shatters stigmas around different types of addictions and takes a deep dive into spiritual principles. I find a lot of wisdom that comes from your show. You interview different people and I know you just do an overall good job and you're a blessing to recovery in general. So I want to make that very clear for the record that I love the movement that you have, what you're doing, you're saving lives and you're educating and informing people. I think that's important. I want to thank my friends at Recovery Survey for giving me the opportunity to talk to them about my recovery journey. Thank you for having me on uh, the new podcast that you just developed, which is unbelievable, Recovery Survey Podcast. I really appreciate what you're doing and, and been doing and continue doing. Our guest today is named Anovi, and she's from New York. She's here to talk to us about life on life's terms. Welcome to the show. My name is Anovi Wolf Sanchez. Um, I got married, actually, in 2016. I am a writer, poet, motivational speaker, primarily. So I've been clean for five and a half years now. I've always had issues with addiction, always. And it's not something that I necessarily realized until after I started to get clean. You know, I'm 33 now. I got clean February 23rd, 2015. And, you know, I grew up in the inner city. It was rough. But... I was always very like a cold, I was a codependent type of kid. Like I always wanted to please everybody. I always wanted everybody to like be happy and make everybody happy. Like I was always constantly trying to um, appease to people. And I guess that added to it, but my mom is a very intense person, but really awesome. And one thing that she's always had like this passion for is changing lives through testimony. And that's the way I, I try to look at it. Because a lot of people would say, like, oh, my God, she's so intense. And she talks about herself a lot. But the way that I learned to look at it is more so, like, she likes to change lives through testimony. She likes to share her experiences. And that was the best way for me to look at it in a positive light. So as I said, my name is Anovi. And I was named, actually, after my aunt. It was funny because I'm so much like my aunt. And I'm not really much like my mother at all. But I'm Hispanic, I'm Puerto Rican, and um, we were raised in a very close, tight-knit family. But in that, you know, we we always had to do what we were told. It was very, uh, you know, very traditional, very, you know, you speak with spoken to, children are to be seen, not heard type of thing. So that kind of like affected a lot. My dad, however, he passed away in 2018, but I was really, really, really close to him. I was, I'm an only child. My dad had a very severe alcohol addiction, and he used cocaine a lot. And I didn't know that. He hid that pretty well. But a lot of this I found out after he passed away, and I'm still dealing with that because it's still very fresh and new. But... My dad was like my biggest fan, my greatest cheerleader. Just like he just loved me, but he had his moments where he was very up and down. And with that, it definitely influenced my addiction. And my addiction was 
to opiates. And it kind of started with pills. And um, like for myself, I started using in 2010. And I'll never forget it. I started using, um, I had, I was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease called Sjogren's syndrome, where you get very intense pain in your body. And I never knew why. I used to be really overweight. I lost the weight through gastric, um, the vertical sleeve. And I lost the weight because I thought that they thought it would help with the pain. All that did was help me transfer my addiction onto something else. Because I wasn't eating anymore. I was always eating. That was how I dealt with my my anxiety and sadness and happiness and just everything, especially in a Hispanic household. That was primarily what we did was eat you know you eat together it's just all we did so I just transferred it I remember I had a really bad breakup and I, I was for whatever reason I was feeling even more pain I took a pill and I never turned back it, it period it I'm sorry it got you know progressively worse and worse and worse and, and to a point where I just I couldn't live without it I did some of the most horrendous things <sighs> while while using her I mean her on this I've done everything that anyone could ever think of I sold my body I stole I'll never forget that I remember I stole from my mother I stole her rent money and I helped her look for it like how insane like and I stole the money for pills because pills is expensive and that's a, a big reason why uh, a lot of people will go to heroin it was really bad. Like I, I, I'll never forget that day. She was looking for the the four hundred dollars. She had to pay her rent, and I did it with no empathy. I just did it. Like I did not care at all. I was so ashamed. I mean, I look back on it like, oh God, have mercy! I can't believe I did that. The lies, the you know, it was so much. It was just so much. In two thousand fifteen. February 23rd, I found myself on the bathroom floor in my house. And I'll never forget, I had pills in one hand and I had the phone in the other hand. And I remember saying to myself, I cannot live like this anymore. Like, this is just way too much. It's literally like Groundhog's Day every day. You, you, you wake up to use. It, just, it was just the same exact thing every day. The sickness, the can't sleep, the withdrawals, it was horrendous. And I was so depressed. And I had so many people in my life that loved me, but I just couldn't see it at all. And I, I was on the bathroom floor, pills in one hand, the phone in the other. And I told myself, I'm either going to live today or I'm going to die. And I chose death. I just can't do this. So I stuffed the pills in my mouth. And I, I swear, I think it was divine intervention because I don't know if I hit the phone by accident because I had the number dialed to my um, my addiction doctor. That was when I first started, you know, I hadn't met him yet. But I guess I hit it by accident and it was on speaker and I'm putting the pills in my mouth and all I hear is, hi, doctor's office, how can I help you? And I spit the pills out and I was hysterically crying and I said, I need help. And I remember them asking me, how long, how fast can you get here? And it was the weirdest thing, because usually you have to wait 
like weeks to get an appointment. And I said, I'll be right there. And it was like an odd hour. It was it was like four in the afternoon. They're about to close and it was just weird. It was a Monday. I'm sorry, no, I think it was a Wednesday actually. So I got there and that was the beginning of my journey to recovery. And that was the last time I ever took an opiate. The thing nobody tells people about in recovery, though, is it, it looks nice. It looks beautiful. That first year is amazing and it's blissful because you're almost living on the high off of not being high. People are telling you how amazing you are and how strong you are and how brave you are and how courageous you are. But what they don't realize is that after that year is up, you have to maintain this year. You have to maintain the recovery, right? But life happens. Life will take place and life will hit you and it will smack you in the face. And you have to stay sober. And that is the part that people don't really tell you about. Or, you know, you do hear that, that it gets rough, but there is a high after getting off of being the high or being in the high. And again, I, I'm very, I was a very codependent person and it's something I'm still working on. But I loved validation. I loved being affirmed. I loved positive attention, being told, oh my God, Inovi, you're so amazing. Oh, you're so inspirational. You're so motivational. You're so this, you're so that. Because I didn't get that as a child, you know? So I, I was always striving to have people tell me that. And that's what was happening that first year. But when nobody is there and you're laying in bed and everybody's asleep or you're outside doing whatever, you know, you're alone. You have to deal with everything that's really going on because for myself personally, I was still living behind somewhat of a facade of, okay, now now I'm getting clean and I'm so amazing. I'm so this, but I wasn't dealing with why I was using to begin with. And I wasn't dealing with the fact that this has been an issue my entire life. And then on top of that, life was happening. So my aunt died that year. And I was very close to my aunt and I was very close to her daughter, who's like my sister. But our entire family, the way that I knew it was completely dismantled. Everything changed. It was like life halted. And I was like, what the hell is happening? And I didn't know how to deal with it. And with her specifically, I had a lot of regrets because I felt like she died before she could see my recovery, like truly see it. And then I couldn't apologize to her for some of the things that I did. And I had to live with that. And I, I was so, I just hated myself for it, you know. So that put me into a bit of a downward spiral. That was really difficult for me. But I dealt with it. I did it. I had to, you know, I just went day by day. But I wasn't really dealing, again, with my addiction. As time went on, I was told that I could never have children because of the damage that I had done to my body. You know, I was okay with that. My husband has kids from a previous relationship. And um, I'm very close to his kids. I'm very close to their mom. We have an we all have an amazing blended dynamic. It's great. I had a lot of resentment towards her because at the time, you know, now it's different. But at the time, I just felt like you have these kids that are so great, but you're not there. But I am here. But I was also doing the same thing that she was doing and not realizing it. Yeah, I was present, but I wasn't there because I was zooted most of the time. 
you know, so yeah, I was physically there, but I really wasn't there. So I'm judging someone who I'm kind of doing the same thing that they're doing. So I had to learn to have a lot of compassion for her. But as time went on, I remember early 2016, so a, a few, almost a year or so after my aunt passed away, I had a weird dream about my aunt. And she kept telling me in the dream, like, oh, did you find the gift? Did you find the gift? Long story short, I ended up, and I'm Hispanic, so, you know, a lot of Hispanics believe in, like, little signs and stuff with dreams and so on and so forth. But in May, the Wednesday before Mother's Day in 2016, I found out that I was pregnant. And it was, hands down, the most amazing and scariest thing of my life. (laughs) Because... One thing that I've always done is I tend to never finish or, you know, now it's different, but I wouldn't finish anything that I started. It scared the shit out of me because I was like, holy shit, this is a whole person for me, my body. And I'm a smoker, so now I got to stop smoking, (laughs) you know, so which is, you know, but my dream was to always be a mom. But at the same time, I wasn't sure that I could be a mom. And I kind of like. I don't know. I was okay. I, I, I kind of resolved like, it's all right if I never have kids. I have these three amazing kids who I'm helping raise. But this was getting real. And we had previously, we had five miscarriages. And that's when they had told us like, you're never going to be able to hold a child. It's just never going to happen. Like never. There was no chance. Zip, zero. That's it. And I was okay with that. I was okay with that. And my dad would always tell me like, no. Because I was always one, I was always doing stuff. I was always volunteering, you know. I was always, I always had my hand in a lot of different little pots growing up. And I remember I went to the diner when I had found out I couldn't have kids. And I was with my father. And I had told him like that. I was told I couldn't have kids. And he said, and my dad said exactly these words. He said, Mamita, no. You will have kids in some way, shape, or form. But I will tell you this, you're going to change the world. And the whole world will be your child. And I never forgot those words, you know, but it scared me. I wasn't sure if I was really ready to be a mom. This is a whole person, a whole human being. Like, holy crap. Like, what the fuck? (laughs) You know, like, oh, my God. (laughs) So it scared the shit out of me. And but again, it was amazing. And what I started to also realize was the amazingness behind that was the attention that I was getting. Right. So I just got clean like a year before my aunt passed away, but now I'm having a baby. So it's like the stereotypical, oh my God, she's so amazing. Look at her life. Like she got clean. Now she's having a baby. Like she's getting everything she wants. So I was like this poster child for recovery. Like get clean, you'll get everything you want because all my life is showing is the positive in it, but I'm still not dealing with the issues, you know? So it was tough for me. I had my son in January of 2017. I had an amazing pregnancy. You know, it it was, he's a healthy, crazy, vibrant, thriving three-year-old. The other hard part of that is I'm in an interracial marriage, you know, and, I'm, and my husband is white and I'm Hispanic. And where we live, a lot of people would look at us like, oh, are you the nanny? You know, so that was kind of funny, but it added to some of my depression 
And what ended up happening was that I had very severe postpartum depression. But again, going back to that whole part of Anovi that she just can't, I needed to just appear to be so put together all the time. And I was drowning and saying nothing about it. So I felt myself starting to really sink, but liking the attention of you have it all put together. You got clean, you have a child, you have a home, um, you look great, you know, just like all of these things. Because I felt like I was kind always doing something that was noteworthy, quote unquote, but I was suffering in silence. And that was really difficult. About three months into my, like, into postpartum, you know, into having my son, I I started to get really bad cravings, really bad cravings. And because I felt like I lost myself, like I wasn't, it wasn't about me at all anymore. Now it's about this little boy. So, and again, it it sounds really selfish and I want to apologize for that, but this is my truth. I think I was starting to resent him. And again, I may get a lot of really bad feedback about that, but it is what it is. You know, it is what it is. That's how I felt. This is a child that I've always wanted. He is my miracle child. But here I am as his mother going through this severe postpartum depression. I'm, I sound like a brat, but I'm losing the attention that I had, right? The positive attention. He's getting it as he should. Again, this is just my truth. And I was dealing with that. So it was just all so new and novel. And it was just like, oh, my God, I love this person more than anything in the world. But I'm losing myself in it. And as time went on, when he was like five months, that was when I was like, I can't do this anymore. I should not feel this way at all, period. Not just about my son, but period in life. And I started to really uh, kind of buckle down and start to really get help with it. And I started to see a therapist and, you know, I I maintained my recovery doctor as well. You know, I made sure that, you know, I kept going to see him and his name is Dr. Randall. He's amazing, amazing. I mean, he's been just absolutely such a a, a key piece in my recovery because I started going to him even before that and then I had stopped. So he would call me out like, if you're not really going to do this, don't do it. Don't bullshit me. Let's see, we're not doing it. You know, because he was really, he always kept it very real with me. You know, I would talk to him and he goes, these are very natural feelings. And I'm like, how can it be natural? And then he's a man. So I, I couldn't expect him to truly understand how I was feeling as a woman. So I started seeing a female therapist and she validated it. She told me that's actually very natural. It's actually something a lot of women deal with. And it's really good because sometimes you get into a hole that you can't quite get yourself out of. And that was tough, you know, because I really had to deal with the fact that I liked attention, so to say, right? But I liked positive attention. I just wanted everybody to see the good parts in me. And anything that I did that was good or, or oh, she helped this person or she helped that, you know, it was just, I just wanted to constantly be seen as this, like, helping people type of thing and I think I feel like it sounds a little narcissistic but this is my truth as time went on um I'll never forget it was June 2017 and we went into uh, my dad was getting really sick his stomach was very distended and I was like dad we gotta go to the hospital like you're making me crazy I don't know what's going on with you and I'm in the social work field 
So I know a lot about like healthcare, Medicaid, and, you know, but my dad didn't have insurance because he had just retired. So I was like, we'll figure that out. I need you to go to the doctor. So we ended up going to the doctor. And in July 2017, we found out that he had um, cirrhosis of the liver. And it was pretty, pretty uh, far gone. It was, it was pretty bad. And I remember my dad, I held his hands. I actually wrote a, a poem about this after he died, but I held his hands and I, I, I just said, okay, well, what do we have to do? And they said, well, you can be a live donor, but because you lost so much weight, you're too small. His body won't be able to really hold it. So we'll put him on the, on the liver transplant list and um, we'll see what happens. He was never able to be put on the list because he was just way too sick. And it, his anniversary just passed, but May 9th, 2018, my father passed away. And again, life took place. Life happened. Life hit me like a fucking ton of bricks. And I'll never forget, I went into a meeting because I was with my dad that time. And I remember the doctor telling me, I need you to go because I have to take him off for life support. And he was holding on while I was in there. He was not trying to, mm-mm at all nope and I remember the the nurse was like I need you to leave because he's not like he knows you're here you know and he's really suffering and my sponsor was there with me and she's like all right no come on I'll take you to a meeting and I was like I can't because the moment that I get to that meeting my father's going to die so my mother who had been separated from my father for 25 years you know she's been with my stepfather James forever and he's like my dad with very good relationship with my stepdad. My mother said, it's okay. He's not going to die alone. I will be here. And my parents were still legally married, but they were legally separated. So, and then um, my husband also said, he's like, I'll be here as well. So if your mom can't, I will. And then I remember the nurse looked at me and she said, and I'll be here too. So if they can't, I will. And it was just very, it was kind of cute. It was like a book or a movie type of scene. But it was very real. Like, now I'm going to have to deal with this turmoil and I got to keep my addiction under control. I got to stay really present in recovery. So especially in light of what happened with my father, my father's literally dying from alcohol abuse and drug abuse. Literally, that's what took his life. So I, I go with my sponsor to the meeting. I sit down. It was literally right around the corner. I sit down. I look up towards the door. And everybody's introducing themselves. And when I look up towards the door, I see my cousin standing at the door. I got up, literally sat down, looked at her, got up. And they were asking, like, oh, do you want to speak? And I said, no, I have to go. And the, the person who was presenting the meeting, he said, is everything okay? And I said, yes. And I remember I, I looked at everybody. I turned around. I looked at everybody. And I said, hi, my name is Anovi, and I'm a recovering addict. And my father just died. And they were like, oh, my God, when did he die? And I was like, right now. Right now. And I walked out with my cousin. I looked at her. And I just fell on the floor. And I had that moment where I was like, oh, shit. My dad is gone. Like, my dad is not here anymore. Like, physically, figuratively. And my dad is gone. My dad was really silly and a lot of fun. He had his shit, but it was my dad. 
you know, it was my dad, it was my daddy, it was my, my life. You know, especially where I come from, dads are not involved. A lot of them, not all, but a lot of them. So to have your father in your life, when, when you're a little Puerto Rican girl from the Bronx, and most of us don't have our fathers in our life, it was so huge. It was really difficult for me. And I'm an only child. And now I have a kid. And I have to do this. And I have to figure it out. And I now really, really have to stay sober. Because there's so many things that I have to do. And there's so many people that are counting on me. I did it. You know, I, I, I did his funeral. My mom helped me a lot. You know, and then, we, you know, ultimately I cremated my father. And, you know, he's in my house with me. And I joke around. And I'm like, hey, dad, what's up? You know, but I think that my whole life I was trying to kind of please him. And in my own head, I had to do more than necessary. Because my dad was always proud of me. And my dad always, he had his, he had his shit. But that was his shit. And I tried to own it. I was always trying to own his shit. You know, and I was constantly trying to like make him happy you know and I realized that I was I was trying to make him happy and I did that through so many different things you know from addiction to even relationships I've always been I was in constantly in abusive relationships with the exception of my husband he was the only like normal relationship I had and he actually is the complete opposite of my father everybody else was so much like my dad you know so that was really difficult you know, so I still have to deal with that. I still have to deal with the after effects of my father's death. But in that, you know, what I'm getting at is after you go into recovery, that year passes and it's kind of like a death. I don't know if you've ever experienced any death. I'm sure most people have. But like when you experience the death of someone so close to you, that fir- those first few months are actually the best. They're the best parts. And and not in a good way. I mean it more like people are there for you. People are gonna help you. They're gonna take care of you. They're gonna they're gonna reach out to you. How are you in OV? How, do you need anything? Do you do you, you know, I'll bring you this, I'll bring you. people are just so involved and they make a point to call you and look for you. But life happens, life takes on. These people cannot be there for you forever. So there comes a point where they stop calling. And the calls come far and few between between the the check-ins or the I'm j- I just dropped by to make sure you were okay. That that's far and few between in between. And you're left to deal with life on your own. And that's the way, in my opinion, recovery is. Recovery to me is you have to start to get it on your own. Addiction is like having a really shitty abusive relationship. It's like a really horrible best friend. You, When it's good, it's good. And you're off the bliss of it. But when it's bad, it's really bad. But there's nothing conducive that comes out of it. It's a constant soul sucker, you know, of, of addiction. Addiction just is just, it takes everything out of you. And then for everything you have to do to get yourself back together, it takes a lifetime. I always tell people that addiction, I I work for an organization out of the courts and we do court advocacy. I work with youth and I have a a, a kid who's, he's 21 now, but we've developed a very good relationship. 
and he was using heroin and I helped get him into rehab. This kid has totally changed his life. And, you know, when he has his moments, he'll call me and I tell him, I'm like, look, sobriety is like taking a shower. I need you to do that every day. The shower you took yesterday ain't going to work for today. You know, you have to take a shower today because the shower yesterday is not going to make you, you know, like you have to do this every day. Sometimes you have to resolve yourself to take a shower one or two or three times a day because it depends how sweaty and muggy it is outside or what you're going through. Same thing with your recovery. Sometimes you may just need to take one shower a day. Sometimes you may need to do it five times a day, depending on the weather or what you're going through. Addiction and sobriety, in my opinion, has to be dealt with like that. You have to make sure that you work on it every day because what I did yesterday is not going to work for today. My shower yesterday is not going to help me smell good today. You know, so I have to make sure that today I work on my recovery. If I need to work on it twice, I got to do that. Just like if I have to take two showers, I got to do that. If I got to work on it three times, I got to do that. You know, you take each day as it comes, but you got to do it every day. There's no slacking off when it comes to your recovery and sobriety. You have to make sure that you work on it every day. Sometimes you got to take it day by day. Sometimes it's hour by hour. Sometimes it's minute by minute. And sometimes it's second by second. It depends on what you're going through. But it's so important to take each day as it comes. And you make sure that you work on it because whatever you did yesterday is null and void for today. It's just not going to work at all can't expect whatever you did yesterday to carry on over it. It doesn't roll over. It's not a, like a rollover minute type of thing, you know? And recovery is such such an intense process and it's 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 so hard. But it has so many rewards at the same time. You know, it's, a, it's truly a blessing. It's truly a blessing. But at the same time, it has its moments. I lost a lot of friends. A lot of friends, people who just, you know, even after I got clean, they just couldn't be a part of my life anymore. And I get it. I get it. I think that's really courageous and brave of them because I understand the, the idea. What I was told, I have a really, well, I had a very good friend who was just like, I'm sorry, I just can't let you in my life like that again. And I understood. She felt like you, what you did, because, you know, I did a lot of, I stole a lot. You know, I did a lot of really shitty things. And although I know that that was because of my drug addiction, to her, it hurt her. And at the end of the day, you have to protect yourself. So I get it. You know, I completely get it. And I, and I can't, I'm not mad at her at all. I, I actually respect her for being able to, to put herself first, which is something that I struggled with my entire life. It was very eye-opening and very helpful for me because it helped me realize, okay, Sometimes we have friends for a reason. What is it, a reason, a season, or a lifetime? And she served, you know, we served each other's purpose. And hopefully one day maybe, you know, the universe will bring us back together again. But if it doesn't, it doesn't. I learned a lot from her. And I could only hope that she's learned a lot from me. In sobriety, shit happens. Life happens. And it will hit you so hard. And it'll fuck you up. <laughs> But the main thing is to make sure that you put your sobriety first so nobody ever could come second ever in your life again. It's so important. And I always look at it as taking a shower, you know? Gotta do one today because today won't work for tomorrow, you know? And I'll do it tomorrow, tomorrow. And that's how I look at my recovery. It's been, it's been a whirlwind. <laughs>
It's been a whirlwind. But nonetheless, I'm so grateful to be here and I'm healthy. And, you know, they say it's only five minutes before the miracle. And I've had so many blessings in my life. I, I can't even, I'm just like, I don't know what the hell I did in a past life. But I must have been pretty damn decent because the mercy and the grace that the universe has over me is not overseen. Like, I'm really blessed and really lucky. And ultimately, what I want to do is show people that recovery is possible. Because I remember when I was using, I couldn't, I never thought I would ever be clean ever. I, I made it up in my head. I'm, I'm good. If I'm never clean, I'm okay with that. Because I didn't want to be clean. I loved the drug. That was my best friend. But life outside of addiction is even more amazing. And I'm really grateful for that. And I'm so grateful to be alive. I've overdosed four times. I should not be talking to you right now. I should be dead. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us and letting the listeners know that we can get through hard times and we can do it without having to use. If you'd like to get in contact with Anovi, all of her contact information will be in the show notes. Thank you again. You've been listening to Recovery Survey. If you got anything out of today's episode, I'd ask you to please leave us a five-star review and share this episode with a friend. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can find us at recoverysurvey.com. You can listen to all of our episodes on the website as well as connect with us on social media where you can get previews for upcoming episodes.